Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. The Houseman XP Podcast Network is taking you on the journey. Your host, Master Trainer Heath Hyatt, will combine his decades of experience as a houndsman and as a professional trainer that will light the path forward and make our packs lighter on this lifelong journey to become better hunters and houndsmen. There are no shortcuts, so lace up those boots and grab a dog leash. The journey begins now. Hey guys, the journey on Houndsman XP is teamed up with Go Wild. Go Wild is a social media platform that was made for hunters by hunters. If you guys and gals have listened to any of the other podcasts that I've been on, you know what a huge outdoor enthusiast I am. I love being in the woods with my hounds. There's nothing more exciting than hearing the thunder of a spring gobbler. I love fishing for trout in the brooks and the streams, and I love being on the river chasing that ever-elusive fish of a thousand cast, the muskie. Go Wild is the place that I can post my trophies, hunts, and memories without being censored. But Go Wild is so much more than that. It's a place to share your stories, sharpen your skills, hone your tactics, get gear reviews, and shop for anything outdoors. When you make a purchase from the Go Wild store, everything is free shipping. Anything that you purchase anywhere in the country, no matter how big, free shipping. So go down to the show notes, click on the Go Wild link at the bottom, and get signed up today. And let's go wild. If y'all purchase anything from Go Wild, make sure that you're using the Houndsman XP promo code. And that code is going to be HXP10. So when you go in there and you download your cart, when you come up to the bottom and it says promo code, add Houndsman XP to it. You guys are in for a treat. So through some of my travels, and we talked about that several times this year, um, and when I met Pete Rogers with the Christian Outdoor Podcast, uh, Pete put me onto some social media stuff, which is Carbon TV. And I started following Carbon TV, and this chef kept popping up in all my feeds. <laughs> and I started watching what she was doing, and I'm like, man, that looks so good that I want to try it. So I continued to follow her, and I just reached out to her and said, hey, can you give us some cooking lessons on Wild Game? Because that seems to be her specialty. And she uh, obliged, and we have got Chef Shelly Meyer on from Darby, Montana. Yeah. And how is this? We're spread out a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, southwest Virginia to Montana. Now, 
You just enlightened me on something that I wasn't aware of. Of course, I'm not a big fan either. But what are you close to, and what's one of the places that you get to hang out? <laughs> you got to tell us. You got to tell well, us. Well, absolutely. So I am a private chef. I'm a former restaurateur turned private chef, and uh, I live one mile away from the ranch where they filmed the show Yellowstone. <laughs> and I actually private chef at that ranch for guests because they operate as a guest ranch when they're not filming. So I private chef at that ranch and have been very blessed to have cooked for some very notable people and, and very fun people. And I, it's absolutely uh, a blast. I love what I do now. So yeah, I get to kind of experience I, one of the cabins they call is Rip's Cabin, and that's one of the more popular ones. Like I literally go there, and as a private chef, I'll, I'll cook in that cabin. So when you see those episodes, if you do follow the show, you see the uh, the characters Rip and Beth and uh, in his cabin. I've cooked in that kitchen, and yeah, it's dark. It's so dark. It's hard to cook. <laughs> yeah, there. but yeah, people rent that. Uh, one of the funniest stories I have is, you know, I'm I'm a chef and I'm only focusing on on cooking and prepping. And one of the guests came up to me and says, Shelly, wh where's the train station? And I said, well, <laughs> oh, it's a long ways away. I mean, and I'm thinking literally the, the passenger train, like, yeah, I've got to go all the way up to Whitefish to get on that. Like, no, 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 no. We're talking about the show. <laughs> like, oh. Okay, I have no idea. <laughs> I think it's on the border of Idaho and Montana, but I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to take you <laughs> to the train, take you out yeah. back to the train. Yeah. <clears throat> so, Chef, you're on, you've got your own spice line. I and do. you're on, um, what you told me is kitsch.com, where it's like an interactive cooking show. Yes. So I have, that show is called Shelly's Montana Table, and I am on kitsch.com. Uh, slash uh, Shelly Dash Meyer, but I do all I have my wild game uh, things on there as well as domestic meats as well, uh, fish and, and so forth. But uh, kitsch.com is the fun thing about it is it's very interactive, like it, I can do a live stream and you can call in Heath and, and ask me a question about exactly, you know what I'm doing. If I didn't explain it well enough, you can go, hey, listen, I, you know, what would you do with this or that? So it's kind of a fun new network that is more interactive on that aspect. So yeah, I'm on kitsch.com. And then the fun thing, so I have two seasons of Shelly's Game Kitchen on Carbon TV. However, season three will be exclusive. I'm going to be exclusive on Carbon TV for season three and, and the future of Shelly's Game Kitchen. Oh, nice. Nice. And it's all, it's all wild game. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Shelly's game mm -hmm. kitchen is all about <clears throat> wild game. Um, I also, because as a private chef, a lot of my guests will come here and they want the Montana experience. <laughs> um, so I have cooked wild game dinners for, you know, elite clients. Uh -huh. Um, and then because of that aspect, I can't use what my husband and I harvest. I have to source it through USDA and so I actually hooked up with an online source uh, and showcased that on, on season two and several episodes, too, of how you can, if you're not from hunting community, but you still want it, or 
you don't have the exotic meats like Axis deer in your neighborhood and you want to try it. This is a great source to be able to get that. Or wild boar, you know, they're very kind of centrally located in Texas. So mm-hmm. The most of them are. So um, that's kind of where this ranch is based out of is, is Texas and, and get wild and pure. They have a fabulous mobile processing unit, USDA inspected. So the harvesting and the field dressing is done properly and, and clean and on site, even for this USDA inspected uh, process. So it's kind of a cool source. Nice. So that's going to roll us into our very first um, thing we want to talk about, because you and I touched on it. You and I have the same belief that your food prep starts with the harvest. 100%. 100%. I believe there's so many people that are afraid to try game or they've they've tried a bad one that was gamey i honestly believe the quality of your food starts in the quality of your harvest and the quality of your field dressing because the stress on that animal in the field will taint the meat that you're going to cook later so Prepping beforehand as, as a hunter, you know, really making sure uh, you've done your target practicing and, and all of those things to have a clean harvest and then dressing it out. Uh, my husband is like a pro and he does it so fast and so clean. Um, I have seriously served because everybody knows we're a we're a hunting family and mm-hmm. my freezers are is full of wild game. Um, and when house guests come over or, or friends come over nine times out of 10, I am cooking them wild game from our freezer. And I just don't think about it. And, and I'll, I'll serve wild game and not even think about it. And the guests will be, that's the greatest beef I've ever eaten. <laughs> yeah. Sure. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, and after they eat it and, and they've said that, then I'll say, well, that's because it was elk or it was antelope. I, I literally just had that conversation with somebody about antelope and everybody thinks that it's the worst tasting. Sage. <laughs> I hear that all the time. It tastes like sage. That's what I hear. Well, and again, it, it really kind of depends on where you're harvesting what they eat. It's kind of like whitetail. Oh my God, a, a corn-fed whitetail is <laughs> butter compared to, you know, a grass-fed that doesn't, it's not in cornfields. So yes, what they eat matters. And that also comes into the locations of your hunts and, and so forth. But, you know, I, I love antelope. It is clean. It is tender. Um, but we get it out of grasslands more mm-hmm. than sage. So I, I really think that that's the difference of where they, where they feed. Yeah, no, I, I can, I can definitely see that um, <clears throat> because it depends on what the, the food source is for the year does have a different taste to the, to the animal that I've been, um, yeah. uh, that I've had to deal with for sure. So what are some, what are some tips or what are some things that you would acknowledge when we're doing the processing to make, make the, the outcome better for us as hunters? 
Nice. Um, our experience and, and what we do is we will eviscerate and gut in the, in the field mm -hmm. and then we bring it back and hang it. Um, temperature is all, always going to be an issue. So where you are, we're in Montana. So, you know, our hunting season is typically cold. So we don't have as much of a problem with that. However, if it, if, if it's a fall hunt, you know, we always bring the ice and, and, and so forth, but we like to at least a week, if not two weeks, hide on eviscerated, we will hang it. Um, and, and let the enzymes that the natural occurring enzymes really go to work on that protein. Um, but again, that depends on the quality of the kill. Um, you know, if, if that was tainted, um, because they, they were stressed, uh, it wasn't a, a one shot kill or, or what have you, um, that, that will matter. Uh, I, I don't have personal experience with a scenario that was totally tainted because, uh, my husband and, and myself, like I, one of my antlered hunts was an antelope and it was a one shot kill. Um, so zero stress. And I think zero stress makes a huge difference in the quality of the meat and then the clean and fast uh, processes of how you dress it out. Right. And then, yeah, you know, like I said, we, we hang it. And that goes back even into the beef world. If you understand, you know, they hang carcasses uh, and let those enzymes work. You know, it's like a dry aging process. So a, a minimum of a week, uh, if you can keep it, you know, cold and, and or chilled, mm -hmm. you know, if it's, below 40 or whatnot, you're fine. Yeah. I just, um, I just bought a whole Wagyu beef. Okay. Wow. Uh, well, let me tell you, it was 95% Wagyu, 5%, um, uh, uh, Hereford. Um, uh, my dad had run across, he's got a friend that, that had some and this one come up. So I was like, I'm going to try it. But yeah. yes, when, when we, when I went and picked the, 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 picked it up, took it to the, the, the slaughterhouse, I guess that's what you want to call it. Um, yeah, they hung it for two weeks. Right. Like, you know, Miss Taylor's like, hey, you know, it's going to be three or four weeks out. We're going to we're going to hang it, take care of it, yada, yada, yada. And yep. literally it was she was about exactly right. I think it was three weeks later they called and said, hey, you know, we've got your stuff ready. Yeah, um, it makes a huge difference. And, and people think that in wild game aspects, you know, I, I just had this conversation with somebody and that they're so anti-antelope because, you know, they've, they've haven't done the one shot kill and, and uh, the stress because their nickname is speed goat. So hmm. when they immediately we take off, you're tainting that meat. Those cases you have to let, in my opinion, you have to let that hang right down. So, uh, and then, you know, determine through the the butchering process, like we do all of our own butchering of all of our wild game. Uh -huh. So Brad and Brad will butcher and, and we'll, we even process our own burger. We're, we're set up with grinders and, and we make our own sausage and, and uh, smoke it and, and all of that. So um, I, I've always found that 
being in control of every step along the way. And not everybody can do that. And I understand, Mm -hmm. but know the quality of your butcher. Um, and, and I think that's huge because every single step from the harvest to the, through to the, uh, dressing out in the butchery makes huge difference in the final product, the taste, the smell, the mouthfeel, all of that. Yeah. I I think that's the biggest tip. And I was shocked that other people didn't hang their game. Like I, I literally was shocked. Like, what do you mean you don't? Uh, yeah, we always do. So <laughs> I think that's a huge tip. Yeah, when when I was growing up, and my dad still has it. Dad's got a a dairy um, out behind the house, and anytime we would kill a deer, we would let that thing hang seven, ten, fourteen days. Um, and then as I've gotten older, of course, I'm not. I don't live close to there, so it's not an option for me, and I don't have a place to do that. And then for some reason, I want to say through some article or maybe it was something that I'd seen where they said it wasn't necessary to, to hang your animals for whatever reason. But, you know, we're, you know, we're in southwest Virginia, so sometimes during season it's a little warmer than, yeah. than I would like it to be. And if you, you know, the guys down south, they really probably don't have that option because yeah. of the temperature. But I can tell you from my own experience that the, be- the 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 deer that we used to hang as I was growing up to the stuff that I'm doing now has a different taste. Yeah. Yeah. And there's nothing I, I, different I, other yeah. than the hanging. The hanging. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's the, the enzymes, the natural enzymes that happen in the meat. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it makes a huge difference. The, the aging process. That's what that is. It, and I understand there are times and, and situations where you can't. In those cases, I would at least wet age. So um, if you've got, if you have to butcher the whole animal, <clears throat> then get the um, the full primal cuts and wet age the primal cut. So uh, cryovacum, put them in the fridge, wet age them for 14 to 21 days. And then take them out and and butcher them into individual steak cuts or or what have you. Um, I, I it it's a passion that if, if you're truly passionate about the full process of not just the uh, the hunt and the rush of the hunt, but you're truly passionate about what that product, the original organic aspects of that product, does for a lifestyle, um, invest in having that refrigerator be like a designated refrigerator Mm -hmm. in the garage that you can wet age your primal cuts. Um, I think it would make a huge difference, especially for y'all in the South. (laughs) So explain that process to me again, because I'm not sure that I'm completely clear on the wet aging. The wet age? Yes. Okay. So if you have like your, your primal cuts, you can debone and have mm-hmm. um, like the, the full loin, mm-hmm. the, the full uh, backstrap. Okay. So you can have that full backstrap before you cut it into individual portions or whatnot. Cryovac. So, uh, uh, you know, get the, the sealer mm-hmm. where you take vacuum all the air seal. out. Mm-hmm. Vacuum seal. Thank you. Um, that whole primal cut. 
And in that vacuum seal process, then take that and refrigerate it. It's called wet aging. Dry aging is in a, you know, a lined room where it's open to the air and so forth. But wet aging also allows the enzymes to break down the, the, the proteins and so forth in that meat. The wet aging will do not as great of a job as dry aging, but dry aging, you need fat and, you know, the, the qualities while game is lean. Um, but in that wet aging process, that cryovact, all of those enzymes are going to work on that protein to tenderize it, to create the flavors that you're, you're wanting. Um, and then break the seal after 21 days, do at least 14 days, but we usually will do 21. Mm-hmm. Um, and then pat it off and then cut it into portion sizes, however you like to uh, portion size for your freezer. Uh, and that's when you would, we don't cryo back when we freeze, we wrap with plastic wrap several times. And then we do freezer paper uh, just to prevent freezer burn and then freeze those. Uh, but yeah, the, the wet aging process will give you the enzymes that you need. If you cannot hang it, that's, that's the next step that you would want to do for the best quality of your eating experience. All right. Before we move on, I want to ask you a question, what you just said. So we vacuum seal about everything we do. So what, why the choice to plastic paper and then the butcher paper, what, what is the benefit? Is there a benefit and what, what drives that expense. decision? Yeah. No, it's just expense. Okay. Okay. It, 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 if you do like uh, five layers of plastic wrap, you're basically getting out all of the air because that's the biggest thing. You want to prevent air from hitting it. And then the freezer paper just, again, gives it a, a, yep. a second layer of protection for freezer burn. Okay. But it's just expense, you know. Because some of those bags are can get expensive, and we, we go we, seriously. We do so our our um, summer sausage and stuff like that. We always cryovac that uh-huh. uh, vacuum seal, um, but usually on our steaks and and burger, we just wrap with several layers, you know, like five or six layers of the plastic wrap and thin freezer paper. Got it for expense. Now, yeah, and you're you're right because. You know, I buy rolls of that vacuum seal stuff, and it it is expensive it for is. sure. Yeah. So, so, all right. <clears throat> so, when I'd first contacted you, I kind of thought, you know, let's let's talk about you know some of the stuff that most hunters um, they deal with. So, you know, I said, hey, you know, I like to trout fish and catfish and striper. I catch you know quite a few stripers throughout the the summer and trout in the spring. And we'll catch catfish some on the river. And then, you know, most people deer hunt. And we talked about bear. And, like, the guys out west, the antelope and the the elk, which I do say, I believe, and I've, I've not had a chance to eat it a lot, but I, I'm fairly sure that elk is probably my favorite wild game. So, <clears throat> so let's Thank just, you. yeah, I mean, I, and like I said, I'm, I'm putting in for my tags. I want to kill one so bad just so I can have it. I mean, no other reason. Um, yeah. And, you know, I talked to you, too, about maybe before we get ahead of ourselves, 
you know, everything that we take, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in if you harvest or catch, keep, whatever, that we use, it's a purpose. We use it. We don't waste, we don't waste game. And it's just, you know, I, my great grandparents instilled that on me when I was a kid. And I'll tell you the story that I had went out one day and killed a pile of squirrels and, um, I let them sit out back and I didn't do anything with them. And my, my great granddad, he got all over me and he was like, son, you don't do that. You don't go out just to be killing stuff. And of course it was more, it was more violent than that. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. We're downplaying it. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I get it. anyway, that has always stood with me and, you know, to this day, um, and I, and I have, I mean, I'm guilty. I've made bad shots or done something to destroy the animal that, that was not obtainable and eatable. Maybe get a back quarter off of it, maybe a, a tenderloin strip or whatever. Um, but we, we hunt, of course, we love to be outdoors, but we hunt to, to, to supply us with food. Right. And we fit. I love to fish. And if I'm not, if I don't plan on eating it, I don't keep it. You know, yeah. it's catch and release, catch and release. Um, right. So, you know, you and I had talked about that, and I'm I'm a firm believer in waste not, won't not. Like, don't do right. it. Yeah. So let's just start with the fish. Let's start with, you know, I, I spend a lot of time on the trout streams in the spring. Um, that's kind of where my trout fishing and turkey season is the spring thing here. Yeah. So let's let's tap into those. What you know, let's talk about a little maybe a little bit about prep, um, some different ways to cook it. Like I told you, I can grill it and other than that, I just I'm not a cook. I don't care. You could give me a recipe and tell me to add a cup of this, a quarter cup of this, two teaspoons of that, mix well and put in the oven and it still wouldn't taste right. <laughs> I just I can't do it. I just can't do it. But you know, there's one thing as a chef that I can't teach and that's the chef's palate. So, you know, a lot of these, I, I talk about this on my show, Shelly's Game Kitchen too, is like, I can tell you add a teaspoon of this and a teaspoon of that, but you have to taste it and, and then be able to determine, you know, how much more, do I need more salt? Do I need more pepper or, or what have you? Um, you know, talk, talking about, we talked a little bit about the kind of fish that, that you uh, catch and, you know, it's the trout is here. It's a lot of catch and release too. Um, and the smaller trout, the best thing is in my opinion is to smoke them and, and really, cause there, there's just so many, so many bones and yeah. <laughs> it's, like, mm-hmm. it, it's kind of a pain, uh, but smoke trout in, in, in like a dip or uh, something like that, put a little uh, cream cheese and, and, and uh, mayo and mix that up and, and make like a, a smoked trout dip. Uh, fabulous, oh. fabulous. Uh, then with, you know, as a chef, we look at fish based on style. Is it a white flaky fish? Is it, you know, uh, a red fleshed fish like salmon Mm -hmm. because each one has different techniques that are better for those styles but they're trans 
you know, you can transpose them into wild game or, or whatnot based on the style of meat. Um, specifically with the fish, you know, the fattier fish, the red flaky, or excuse me, the red fleshed fish are usually your fattier ones. Um, they do great with spicy things. Um, they'll do great with, you know, glazes, your white flaky fish are more mild. So you want to keep the recipes more on the, the mild side, unless you do like a smoke. So that's what I love to do with small trout, uh, is, is smoke them, but, a, a, a nice pan size trout and, and really doing, um, I think one of the easiest things is, you know, if you hear about scoring the, the flesh, the mm -hmm. do like three scores on the, the top and on the bottom and then do a, a pan sear, you're just getting a crispier, uh, skin and it's actually helping to cook the fish faster because you don't want to overcook it. It's such a delicate mm -hmm. fish. You don't want to overcook it. So being able to score that and, and, and have that be faster um, is the secret to ha still having moisture, not totally dried out, uh, but cooked fish. And then it easier to pull those bones away, you know, in those scenarios. Uh, but a great oven baking is also great. Uh, you know, those are things that fast and easy, put it in a, a or on the grill, put it, do you like wrap it in tin foil with like onions and garlic and, and lemon slices and stuff and then put it on the grill? So, yeah. And I, I want to go back to, to remind me to, to ask you about the scoring. Um, okay. But yeah, so if, if I fix it, it's one of two ways and you've, you've mentioned them both. We put it in the um, the the pan and and sear it <clears throat> and cook it really slow after it gets there and because like you said it's thin you don't want to burn it my my best way for me to cook it is on the grill uh, I soak it in butter lemon juice put a strip of bacon in it roll it up in tin foil and put it on the grill for I mean less I mean ten minutes it's done. That's that's yeah. the how I can make it eatable if you want to eat it. <laughs> so um, that's the way I do it. So, yes, go back to the scoring. Explain that to because, like I said, I am not a cook. Okay. Explain that to me. And when you when you when you put it in the pan, what are you frying it in? So when you're scoring, it's just a super sharp paring knife and you're just, just scoring the skin. You're not going so deep that you're getting into the meat. You're just trying to score the skin. So very light score on the skin and just like, depending on the size, if you've got a size like this, then it can handle five or, or six. So that's like a two uh, foot fit. Scores. We're, we're, but, my, we're know, working a pan size like this, yeah. you know, three scores, like maybe an inch apart is perfect on both sides. And then I, a high temperature, a high heat oil, like grapeseed oil is my usual go-to or avocado oil or peanut oil, uh -huh. something that's high heat. You'll have a, um, enough oil in that pan to, uh, cover the, the bottom of the pan, but not to be swimming. It's mm -hmm. just, just enough to coat the bottom of the pan. And then the other secret in this technique is super dry, you gotta you gotta pat that skin dry, because 
moisture inhibits browning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so super dry, padded dry, and then quick sear. As soon as it hits that grease or that oil in that pan in a hot pan, it's going to be immediately cooking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's like a, a maybe two to three minute on each side. Um, and then if it's a really thick fish, you might need to finish it in the oven. That's kind of the, the best way to put it at 350 in the oven uh, to finish cooking the flake if it's a really fatty or a real fat trout, but usually trouts are, are thin and skinny. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, that's, if it doesn't seem like it's done enough, you can flip it on the other side just to prevent burning. But that's, I love to do a sear and then finish it in the oven for, you know, two or three minutes. The journey on the Houndsman XP podcast network is sponsored by Onyx. The most comprehensive mapping system in the world is available by going to onyxmaps.com and downloading their app. Several subscription offers there. Highly recommend you use an Onyx, and here's a true story for you. We've all got that spot where when we turn our hound loose at night, they're going to head that direction. Well, the other night, my hound's headed in a direction for that property that had recently sold. I had no idea who owned that property. I simply opened up my Onyx app, found the landowner information, cut the dogs off, and the next day I went to their house. And not only did I get permission to hunt there, I think I made some new friends. They are beef farmers, and they do not like raccoons running through the feed bunks, leaving their mess behind. Yeah. Go to onxmaps.com and download the app today at checkout. Make sure you use the promo code HXP20 and get 20% off. When you join us on Patreon, you will get a discount code for a deeper discount on Onyx Maps. Know where you stand with Onyx. The journey on Houndsman XP has teamed up with One TDC. This dual action support for oral health and mobility in our dogs. This unique supplement is so effective that it is recommended by top veterinarian experts worldwide to maintain and improve our dog's health in four different areas. Their oral health, hips, joints, and muscles, skin, coat, energy, and recovery. Guys, I've been using this product for the last six months, and it has been a game changer for me. If you're looking for something to help with the overall health of your dog, go to worksowell.com and give this product a try. It is highly recommended by Houndsman XP here on the journey. What about, let's move, let's go catfish, because we talked about that too. A lot of people don't like it because they think that it's, it's not, it's nasty. Yeah. Well, and, and that goes back to the same thing of the quality of the harvest, the quality of the um, evisceration. And a good, catfish is white flaky fish. It's clean. It's, you know, if you've got a really beautiful uh, river fish and and whatnot, it's, it's so good. And I love to do blackened catfish tacos. I was (laughs) going to say those tacos. Yes. Yes. And and it's a, because catfish going back to that fattier 
it can handle spice. So catfish has just got a little bit more fat to it and you just need to cook it a little bit longer, but spice needs fat to carry the spice. So it's a beautiful fish to be able to do with blackening spice. And I actually, my, my spice line is Montana flavor to savor. And I have a blackening spice in that line. I've got seven different ones. I've got a blackening spice and an espresso rub that would be awesome mm. with catfish. And, you know, blackening, I love to do a cast iron, a hot cast iron skillet in that. And again, a high heat uh, oil, sear it until you just want to see the flakes start to, you know, come apart, you know, then you're done. That, mm -hmm. That's the thing is the, the technique to looking at, at fish when it's done to me, fish is the easiest thing to cook and other people are, they're so afraid of it because if you overcook it, it's dry. If you undercook it, you're eating slime. Yeah. <laughs> but the watching the, the, the flakes of that fish kind of start to, you know, open up a little bit. It's done. You're good. Yeah. You're done. <clears throat> so, and yeah, black and catfish, everybody wants to do a fish fry and, and I love a good fish fry. The secret with the good fish fry is you have to season the breading. Even, even if it's just flour or whatnot, you've got to season that. And I actually did an episode on Chili's Game Kitchen where I, what we do as chefs is, is you don't know how much it's going to be seasoned. It's fine. Yeah, it tastes like raw flour, but taste, season your flour before you do your, your breading technique. Mm -hmm. And make sure that it tastes salty enough. Make sure that there's flavor to it or put your blackening spice with that make sure that you can actually taste it in that breading because that's the first thing that hits your palate and makes for a better experience on your eating well, i was gonna <laughs> because say if you're gonna fry it a lot of that um the fry technique is actually only frying you're only getting oil into the top eighth inch it's a sealing technique to where then the interior is basically self-steamed. You know, a lot of people think that frying is greasy and, and so forth. If you do it right and it's the right temp, it's not that greasy at all uh, because it's just sealing in all of those beautiful flavors. Well, if you don't have any seasoning on that fish or in that breading, then it's steamed in nothing but water because fish swim in water. So got to season your uh, fish. I all I, on a thick piece of, of catfish, I will season both sides with my fish seasoning or an all purpose type of, of seasoning. And then I will also do the same seasoning in the breading before I roll it and, and fry it. Yeah. I was going to say, we can't talk about fish without talk about deep frying because that South you know how it is. Everything gets deep fried down here. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's so good. Oh my gosh. Uh, but I like tacos, fish tacos, whether they're grilled or uh, deep fried. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of, to me is a, oh my, that's my version of fast food is tacos. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I mean, the last, the last, I usually deep fry my catfish or my striper. That's the two things. The kids love striper. We make nuggets out of it. Nice. Um, and, the, and, you know, now that you're saying that, the last time I cooked it here about a month ago, it was very bland. 
and I did not, we did not season the batter. Um, so that I can see that was the issue. Um, yeah, I think that's, if there's any, if there's one takeaway from all my shows or, or, or today, Heath is season every layer as you go. So season your, your raw or, or whatnot, because then you're developing flavors in those layers and you don't need as much at the end. If you don't season it along the way, you need way more salt at the end. If you're seasoning along the way, you're experiencing the flavors as they're meant to be developed, which is as they cook. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Now let's move on to the turkey, because that's something um, a lot of people don't like wild turkey. And I will say that I have been guilty of, I don't, I don't like turkey legs. And especially a wild turkey. Wild turkey right? yep. But I did what you just said is we started smoking them and using them in salads and in nice. stuff like that. And it's made a huge, huge difference. In, nice. Um, so let me tell you how you can eat turkey if I fix it. Yeah. Okay. Because so, <laughs> this is the only way. But I, what I'd like to do is I'll, I'll cut, cut the breasts out. I vacuum seal them, put them up, and then whenever we're ready to eat them, I'll take take it out, thaw it, and I'll cut it into strips, like chicken strips. Okay. And we soak okay. it, I soak it in um, buttermilk. Okay. And then we have a, a meal that's close to us that does seasoned flour, and I roll it in seasoned flour, and then we fry it in a pan. And okay. uh, you would not, I take it to work, and people can't, they'll eat it before it's, if you turn turn your head, it's gone because they're. I mean, they're just smashing it down. So that's the way that I generally eat wild turkey. So help okay. us out. So going back to what you're saying about the legs, it's the working muscle, mm-hmm. um, and that's why it's it's doing the majority of everything on that bird, um, and that's why a lot of people don't like them. You're perfect idea to smoke a a turkey breast or excuse me, uh, turkey legs. Um, I like the buttermilk brine aspect because there's acid in buttermilk and it's the acid that actually helps to kind of break down those toughness. Um, But you can do like a, a, an acidic brine of some sort that's not buttermilk, but those ones you kind of have to worry about, how long you leave it because acid will kind of make that meat mealy. Um, but buttermilk has the right balance of fat with the milk and then the acid combined. So it's a beautiful and perfect, like I soak my hearts, uh, in, and livers and so forth in buttermilk before I, Mm. I cook them. So I, I love the buttermilk brine. Um, you could also do, so, um, we've done whole wild turkey, just like you do a domestic turkey, but the secret is brining it. So, uh, do it, getting a big enough, <laughs> cause you know, turkey, uh, wild turkeys are big. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need a big enough vat to create like a, a, a brine and brines are just super simple. Um, the biggest thing is you have to have like five tablespoons of kosher salt to a quart of water. And 
get that to where it's all um, melted. And, and I like to do sugar, more salt than sugar. Um, but the sugar is the biggest thing because, or excuse me, the salt is the biggest thing because salt actually creates that enzyme aspect to break down the, the toughness of those of the turkey and, and also add moisture and so forth. And again, going back to what that turkey ate. So where you harvest it also matters because, you know, around here uh, in Montana, a lot of the turkeys um, are following the elk <laughs> mm. and they're just eating elk droppings. Uh, those don't taste so good. <laughs> so you really, where, where everything is harvested matters. It's not the bird as an, as a species, it's what they're eating. So, you know, if you get them um, where it's a lot of sagebrushy, you have more of a sage. However, a brine will, will really help that because fowl, any type of fowl or poultry loves sage, like to do rub sage. However, some people as humans don't like sage. So, you know, that's where you get people, oh, I don't really like wild turkey, but other people do. I, I think those aspects come into play. Um, but doing a full-on brine and then roasting it, like um, that's what I'm going to do for Thanksgiving this year is uh, my husband just got a, a wild turkey and we've got it completely plucked and uh, in the freezer. And that's what I want to do for Thanksgiving this year. Um, have a big family and, and so forth and friends, friends giving and, and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, I, that's my opinion on wild turkey. So just run, run through this brine real quick. Cause you said salt, sugar, and water. Mm -hmm. So is that it? Or are you adding something no, else to it? I, I do like one of my, um, I love, on game, like my pheasants and, and, uh, grouse and so forth. I love cardamom pods. So what cardamom. I do in my brine is actually, uh, peppercorns. It's, it's the salt and brown sugar. I love that one. And peppercorns, bay leaves, uh, fresh thyme sprigs. And then I do cardamom pods. So, mm. Cardamom just adds that little sweetness aspect that I love with my wild, with my wild game. Um, yeah, those, that's my game, Brian. And, uh, I can, I've got a, a ratio that the thing with, uh, brining that's so fun is I know I'm going to get off topic here just a little bit, but when I brine pheasant breasts, or if you've got that uh, your wild turkey breast or the wild turkey legs. Brining is one hour per pound, but it's pound of the piece. So if you weigh that turkey breast and that turkey breast is two pounds, you need two hours in that brine and, mm -hmm. and so forth. So, but it, if you're doing the whole turkey, then you got to weigh that whole turkey. And that's, you know, if it's 30 pound turkey, I got to brine it for 30 hours. Uh, to get all of that in there. So, gotcha. um, but that's when you piecing <clears throat> it out, like you have a brine is awesome. Um, I would actually even suggest on your turkey legs, 
brining them before you smoke them because what you can impart, the salt draws into the full protein. So this, the salt in the brine helps all of those flavors draw into the full protein. So like if you like spice, so we were talking about blackening earlier, you can add some um, uh, peppercorns, you can add some red pepper flake, um, Szechuan peppercorns would be awesome uh, in a brine if you want a little kick uh, to pull into that full protein. Because then when you're biting through it, you get flavor through the entire bite, not just on the outside. So, you know, if you're frying something and, or just seasoning the outside and the, that turkey breast is this thick, you're only getting flavor on the outside, not in, in the middle. middle. And my problem with turkey, and I don't care if it's store-bought or wild, I always, it ends up being dry. That's yeah. my, that's the worst thing for me is I, I can't cook it worth a crap because it ends up being dry. But now I'm kind of thinking, well, maybe I'm not letting that set long enough for sure. I know that's something I'm not doing. Yeah. So. Well, <clears throat> and the, the science behind brining is the same amount of moisture leaves that protein when you cook it, whether it's brined or not. So brining adds moisture into that protein and the same amount of liquid will leave it whether you brine it or not. So that's, that's, yeah. if you're adding moisture in, that's how you prevent dry turkeys. <laughs> I've, I've, I've wrote notes down, so I'm more, I'm going to work on that. <laughs> Perfect. I can't <clears throat> wait to hear how it goes. <laughs> So let's let's move on up up the chart a little bit. Let's get into some um, maybe some deer and bear. And I know we talked about bear, um, and something you said earlier really has me contemplating um, the harvest of a bear because we run hounds, right? So they're they're chased. Yeah. Um, what I have seen through my experience with that, and you know, I'm I'm going on almost thirty years of it. And I don't harvest a lot of bear. I, I don't really, I don't care to. But, you know, we harvested, one of the girls killed one this year, and I ended up killing one this year. So we have a freezer full of bear meat. And <laughs> we have rendered all the fat we could get off of it. Oh, nice. And nice. we're, you know, we're, cook, we're cooking with it constantly. Um, but I, I, what I have seen is that the older, more mature yeah. boars are more rank yeah. uh, taste wise. And, and, and again, I'm taking into consideration what you said, said about, yeah. you know, the chase. Um, it seems like your smaller, um, juvenile boars, you know, 150 to, you know, two, two fifty, do, do not taste as strong. Right. Um, and the sows, <clears throat> which I don't have a lot of experience with that cause we try to avoid that at all costs. Um, so I can't really say because I don't, I don't know that I've, I have eaten a, a, a harvest of sow, so I don't know. But um, a lot of guys are telling me that they're cooking bear through sous vide. Oh, nice. That's how um, I've talked to several people now that's saying that's, that's how they're doing it. For me personally, we use the hamburger in about everything. Um, of course, we mix it with... Um, beef fat okay. when we have it processed. Um, I like the roasts. 
and the summer sausage. I'm not a huge fan of the steaks, and um, yeah, I mean that's that's what if I'm getting it processed, it's going to be hamburger roasts yeah. and summer sausage. That's basically what I do with with what we take. So what what do you what do you what's your so, take on that? You know, I don't have the best experience with bear either. Um, like firsthand experience. Uh, as a kid, we had bear. My dad got bear and and so forth. So um now my husband has not been fortunate enough to actually harvest a bear. So as an adult, I don't have experience with bear, but I can tell you from an animal uh, species, it's the closest to pig. And because it's the closest to pig, you really want to look at it from those aspects. And, and even in the domestic pig world, the old uh, old pigs are not the tastiest mm-hmm. because it is, it's going to get randier. And, and even in big game, like elk, the old, huge elk are, you know, tough and chewy. They're, they're not as good as, as the younger. So um, I love the fact if you've been cooking with the bare fat though, mm-hmm. like you rendered down that and you've been cooking with that and it tastes good then that's a good sign that the rest of the animal is going to taste good as well. Um, but yeah, no, I, I don't think that I would do uh, any of the steaks as well on a, on a boar. Um, I, I, I guess I would suggest on what I do with pork. And that's what, when we were talking earlier is, you know, I can talk about how you would cook pork and, and so forth. The fattier meat, and, and bear is one of the fattiest ones in wild game, um, the more spice. So mm. you can really get away with adding a lot more of heat uh, and spice and, and so forth. Um, the the burger and, and cutting it with beef, that also helps to mild out mm-hmm. the the, the bear taste. qualities mm-hmm. and it is in, in the game world is it is one of the more gamey randier type of games mm-hmm. um and i as a kid i know we just used burger and uh i think we we did a couple of roasts but uh <laughs> my mom wasn't the best cook. <laughs> <laughs> sorry mom um, uh-huh. and, and when she did roasts, they just, they were completely tough, decimated, yeah. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. you know, it was the old time cooking of everything has to be completely <clears throat> decimated, but definitely with bear, you want to make sure, um, you have it to that medium. Well, a, a slight bit of pink is fine, but that's the same thing with quality pork. A slight bit of pink is, is fine. Medium. Well, but because you have to cook it more, mm-hmm. you're definitely going to get more into that tougher or right. uh, gamier aspects. And that's, I think that's just inherent to bear uh, unless you get a, a really young one. But like I said, if, if you're cooking with flavorful rendered bear fat now, I think it, that's a great sign that it's going to be a nice tasting one. But yeah, I, I think what you're doing is is probably the best 
burger, uh, and then the roast, you can, you can brine mm-hmm. red meat too. So a, a brine on a, on a bear roast would be really good, but I would, like I said, it can get away with a little bit more spice. So I would maybe add a little Szechuan peppercorn to my, my brine and, and so forth. So, you know, doing one and determining how you like that flavor, definitely do the brown sugar. And even on the bear, I would probably add equal brown sugar and salt on the on the game or excuse me on the upland and the turkey you want less sugar than salt but on the bear i would do equal portions of uh kosher salt and brown sugar because i think that that would really help the flavoring aspects the sweeter with with the fat of the bear i think it would really be tasty nice and something you said there i, I want to hit on real quick is you know the bear has to be cooked at a little higher temperature <clears throat> and I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I've heard several people say that, um, your deer's 165, your bear needs to be about 185, um, internal. Does okay. that sound right? Or does that sound wrong or wrong? wrong? Okay. Yeah. Well, that's why we're here to learn. So, and it's perfect. Yeah. Um, so when I cook my deer, I, I cook it to, venison medium rare and even red meat mm-hmm. birds i do medium rare um sandhill crane it's a red meat bird migratory birds are red meat birds you can cook those to medium rare and it's going to be the best flavor um and medium rare is 130 mm-hmm. to 135 max and then what i would do on bear is what you do on pork, which is 155. Okay. Now I know there's a lot of people can Google and, and uh, they'll come up with these random numbers, but definitely USDA and health inspectors are going to tell you (laughs) 20 degrees more than what you need, because even chicken is 165, 160 to 165. So there's no way you would ever want to cook venison to chicken standards. <laughs> uh, and, and I would say bear, yeah. Once you reach 155, uh, you've killed all the bacteria uh, in, in the game. If, yeah. if you are worried about it, 165 is even 160 is what they say on domestic chicken. Um, and then you let it rest and it'll come up to uh, the 165 and, and whatnot. But I, I would not cook my bear more than what even domestic chicken needs because you've, you've completely killed bacteria uh, long before that point. So I, I think that's overkill. I okay. totally think that those temps are overkill. So it's a good question. And it's also one of those things that um, I love explaining on, you know, red meat birds and migratory birds. Everybody looks at them like fowl or like poultry, excuse me. They look at them like domestic poultry and they're completely decimating it. And then they're like powder. And of course they're not going to like it. You know, that's not the way to experience the best qualities. Yeah. <clears throat> well, yeah, I, I definitely get my, my bear meat a little. I'm, I'm a medium rare, and okay. I, it's usually a well, to, or well or 
get your yeah, yeah. get your bear a little bit more because it's it's pork, so you definitely <clears> have that. I, I can't remember what the is it it's is it bursalosis or am I thinking that's buffalo? So I, I can't remember what the actual yeah, disease is. I want to say trichinosis. There it is. Yeah, yeah trichinosis. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you just want to be able to kill that. But uh, yeah, get it to a, a well done is you know, 160, 155, 160 max, you've killed the trick. So, yeah. Well, let's, let's wrap this up with two things. I want to, I want to talk about deer a little bit because we've kind of hit on it. We haven't really got into it. And then I'm going to let you finish up with whatever your favorite is. Okay. So let's, let's, let's knock out the deer. Um, Deer. I mean, we do the same thing and I guess I'm assuming everybody does the same um, I mean, we use every bit of it we can use. I mean, the tenderloin is obviously my favorite cut. Um, roasts, hamburger, steaks. We eat a lot of deer steaks. Um, and everything else is, yeah. And then we make summer sausage out of anything that we don't have left. Obviously. And, yeah. of course, we do the high temp cheese and the jalapenos in it. And smoke, it's, oh, I mean, I love it. I love it. So that's kind of what we do with deer. Okay. Well, and, and so what we do with deer is exactly the same thing. Um, we don't do as much burger. Elk, elk burger is far superior mm. and we do a hundred percent. We don't cut it with anything. It's a hundred percent elk burger. Um, but deer, the steaks, the tenderloins, uh, backstrap, all of those things are in roasts. Um, I, yeah, we, we do that. I also will do shanks. Um, and I will have like, I'll have Brad if harvest just bones, like he'll cut me up leg bones and so forth and I'll make stock. Uh So I'll have Uh wild game stock, venison stock, elk stock, um, fowl, uh, or, uh, upland like pheasant. I do pheasant stock and, and stuff like that, trying to use everything. And then, uh, antelope, the shanks and, and we'll keep them like whole. We don't do them like, you know, a lot of times, uh, in the store or whatnot, the butcher, you'll have asabuco, which is, you know, they'll portion them out into like two inch chunks. Mm-hmm. I'll do a full shank. So I'll get four, you know, do nice full shank and I'll do a red wine braise, um, antelope shake, elk shake when I've got a big uh, dinner party coming up. Um, but I love having pure elk stock, uh, venison stock, pheasant stock, or just game stock. Um, every time I'm prepping, I will keep like the carrots and the onions that you always have trim. We call it trim. Uh, A lot of people just throw it away, but there's so much that you can use there. And I just, I'll put it in a gallon sized freezer bag and save my trim of onions, carrots, celery, leek, uh, the herb stems, um, anything like that. And mushroom stems, I'll put that in that freezer bag and once I've got a couple of bags, then I'll thaw out some uh, bones out of the freezer, uh, elk bones, or I've got two pheasant carcasses I'm going to be doing here shortly. Um, so I'll thaw out the, the pheasant carcass. I'll literally make stock and 
it's so delicious, so tasty. And again, utilizing every aspect that you can from that harvested animal. Um, so we talked about you rendering the bear fat, that bear grease is amazing for lard and, and uh, make cooking ba- mm-hmm. biscuits. You can, like I've made duck fat biscuits and, and so forth. Um, I haven't made bear biscuits, but I absolutely would. Uh, I, I love the aspect and, and even as I've, I did one of my episodes was with liver pate. And that's another thing because it's wild game. People have a tendency to think, Oh, it's going to be gamey if you don't do it right. And if you overcook it and going back to the sous vide. So you talked about sous viding the bear and, and so forth. The sous vide technique is keeping the temperature at the same temperature. So you never overcook it. And, and you get it to the perfect temp and especially with bear. So, you know, if you're going to go up to 185, you're going to have kind of a, a tough tasting. Yeah. Uh, but so that's the beauty of sous vide technique is it keeps it, it cooks it to that temp and then holds it at that temp. Um, and I love to do like on my episode of Shelly's Game Kitchen on Carbon TV, I did Nilgai liver pate and I do it in a sous vide. So I'll, I'll buttermilk soak it mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and draw out some of that, you know, inherent blood that's going to be there super cleaned and then buttermilk um, soak it whole. And then I'll sliver it and um, put it. I, I, when I say saute, I'm not meaning getting color. I'm literally putting it for like one minute, like when I thin slice the liver, I'll, I'll put it in one, uh, I'll put it in a pan one minute on one side and then flip it one minute on the other side. And I'm just, again, getting the temperatures to that level and helping to draw out some more of that blood. And then it goes into a sous vide bag with um, sauteed shallots and garlic and, and so forth. And the sous vide prevents it from getting overcooked. Mm-hmm. Um it comes out beautiful, delicious, fabulous. I absolutely love it. Um, it again, it's not like chicken liver pate. It's not. It's, it has its own flavor, but it's a good flavor. Uh, clean. Uh, again, it was harvested on an animal that was clean, clean killed. Um, and and same thing with the heart. Uh, I those were the things that I really challenged myself. So like when I was saying before, I actually, I had a restaurant for 10 years, a steakhouse and uh, my husband and I, uh, he worked it with me for two years. And then after two years he left and I ran it. Uh, I, after I closed the restaurant after 10 years, uh, I actually went through culinary school and became started private chefing and graduated at, at 50 at the top of my class. Um, but these are the things that I wanted was those basic techniques that really I could challenge myself. And I really wanted to challenge myself with wild game because yeah, we all can grill a steak. We can all, you know, make a burger with wild game, but let's learn how to actually honor the full animal to the best of our ability. So that's when I, you know, I started making the shanks and, and doing the liver and the heart and, and so forth. And heart is just beautiful, 
Oh my gosh. It's such a, a clean, beautiful uh, protein. It's, it, it's a full on protein. So, um, so much goodness in the heart. How do you cook um, it? I, so I will, uh, slice it into probably one inch thick steaks. Uh-huh. Uh, and then I'll, I'll clean out the ventricles and, and so forth. And then I'll just season flour and dust it in like a seasoned flour and then pan sear it. And it's, again, mm. it's a medium rare, <clears throat> uh, because this is wild game. Um, and heart is, is, it's just like a muscle. It mm-hmm. is. It's all it is, is a muscle. Is a muscle. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So, uh, you just cook it to medium rare, um, pan seared, and then, you know, serve it with a sauce. Like I've done a blackstrap molasses balsamic uh, reduction that is awesome with my heart. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to go back to the deer real quick because I wanted to ask you this, but I didn't want to interrupt. <clears throat> so deer in, in most game, and you alluded to it earlier, most game is um, leaner. And when we go to cook this stuff, and I, I feel like we have learned through overcooking too much, but I, I want to just use the burgers for an example because that's where we had the most trouble okay. is if it's not mixed with something that has fat, yep. then when I go to cook that burger, give me some tips where I'm not overdoing it because that seemed to be one of my faults is is with and i'm just using the burger because that seemed to be what it was the most of right so the biggest thing yes any type of venison is super lean like in the beef world 17 grams of fat per three ounce portion in most of the venison worlds it's 0.9 grams of fat per three ounce so super lean and if you don't cut it you know, even on the elk, like I said before, we don't cut it uh, with beef, but a lot of people will add like either pork fat or they'll add beef fat because the fat helps as a binder to keep the meat together, but also to add moisture. Because if you do overcook it, it gets super dry. Um, but on venison burger, it'll fall apart. Like if you're grilling, that's it's going to be falling through your grates. Yep. Yes. <laughs> One of the things, yeah. One of the things that you can do is uh, like our grill, if, if you want to two different schools of thought. So in the pan searing process, I love butter. And a lot of times people mess with it too much. It's a set it and forget it. Because if you're, if you put it down and then you're constantly trying to, you know, mess with it, I have a saying, and it's food talks to you. If it's not coming up, it has not had that Maillard caramelization happen yet. So super hot is what helps to sear, and the searing aspect helps to keep it together. Um, But like we do our 100% elk burgers on the grill, and it's literally high heat, set it and forget it until, you know, like one of the tricks that we always did, even at the steakhouses, if you start to see blood coming out the top before you flipped it, that's kind of like where you're getting into that medium stage. So 
depending on how you like your burger, I like a little medium rare to medium mm -hmm. on my burgers. Um, you definitely don't want to get more when it's game. And the secret is super hot, set it and forget it until it's releasing easily. So you might have to have a scenario depending on where your flames on your grill is, how close it is. Uh, you might not want to have it like right there because right. you need to have some time for that Maillard. And, and Maillard is just that browning. That's what it's called when it browns and caramelizes on your protein and on your grill marks. Um, so I would say having it overheat, but more so preheat that grill, have it clean uh, before you put that game on it. And then in the pan, again, I, I love to do butter in a, in a pan and sear it, set it and forget it. Do not touch it. Don't wiggle the pan. Don't try and move it around because that breaks it apart before it's had the chance to caramelize on the bottom. And then if you, if you are still having problems, one of the great things that you can do with uh, game is if it's 100% pure and you haven't cut it with beef, add an egg. Like it's kind of like, you know, you're making meatloaf, but you're not. Just whip up an egg and add that to your ground burger and season, here's a secret, season the burger before you make your patties. Like I like to lay out um, your burger meat, like say you've got a family of four or five or whatever. So you've got two pounds of, of burger, kind of flatten it out a little bit and, and do a good layer of seasoning and then mix it together before you form your patty. And you've got flavor again throughout instead of just on the top. Got it. All right. Yeah, I can do that. I can. Now, are you flipping the burger or are you leaving it? Am I what? Are you flipping it? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You'll flip it, but you need at least, uh, that was that Appalachian uh, accent. I did. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do. I flip it, but it'll be at least two to three minutes before you get that Maillard mm -hmm. and then flip it and do the same thing on the other side. Yeah, definitely. I okay. <laughs> Well, this, I mean, I, I love it. I'm like, food is my weakness. Like I love to eat my, you know, my great grandparents, my, my mom, like food is, I mean, <laughs> I love food. I could eat all the time, which is yeah. probably, I need to cut back on a little bit, but anyway. Um, it's it, the great equalizer and, and, you know, when you cook for somebody else, you're showing love and, and care. And when you do that with something that you harvested, you know, that level of care that you're giving to your family is, is just super special. And like I said before, this is the original organic. You can't get more pure right. than, than wild game. Um, and it's another reason why I love it, but it's also, it, it just takes techniques. And, and if you think about lean, lean protein techniques you've got it down that's right get creative <laughs> well i can't thank you enough i mean i'm honored to have you on here um you know it's you've already given me some tips that i'm going to work on so Great. if if guys if guys and girls that are listening if they want to look you up yeah. where, where do they go to look you up? i know you're on carbon tv where how do they look you up Thank you. And, and this has been such a pleasure and honor. And I, I'm, I'm so glad to do this with you. Uh, I, my social media is chef Shelly Meyer. Um, 
and that's Facebook and Instagram. I am Shelly's Game Kitchen on Carbon TV, which is a completely free app. If you're not familiar with Carbon TV, you need to get familiar. It is so cool. There's so many, like 250 plus shows on there with, and it's all outdoor content. So it's our type of people and our type of shows. And, and I'm just one of them lucky enough to be on there. I've got two seasons on there. So I think probably 24 episodes up and then I'm getting ready to start filming season three. Um, but you can download carbon TV onto any smart TV or device and watch it for free just like you download netflix you can download carbon but it's free um and then i also am on kitsch.com and i will be doing new episodes and, and streaming live on kitsch uh once a month and then also putting up other content usually on thursdays so you can catch me at uh, kitsch.com slash shelly dash meyer and carbon tv is carbon tv.com slash shows slash Shelly's dash game dash kitchen. And then social media, like I said, Chef Shelly Meyer, follow me on Instagram and I, I share recipes and, and so forth. And that's the other, other thing I am working on a cookbook. So I, I would love to hear back from the viewers. I I'm thinking about doing a cookbook and I was going to do not just wild game, but also just kind of my favorites from my restaurant days and before we had the restaurant we catered and stuff like that so kind of some of those if you got a big party uh, recipes of you know we do um, pig we'll roast a pig and, and have the whole neighborhood and friends come over so a lot of the questions I get is how do you figure out portions so you don't have waste so I can share some of those secrets but I'd love to know if people would like a just wild game cookbook or if they'd like a little bit of everything, mostly because like I, I told when I was interviewing uh, for my kitsch channel, um, Shelly's Montana table, I said, you know, I'm a lot wild and a little bit tame. So, <laughs> <laughs> and a, a cookbook that's more on that inspired yeah. is, is what I'm thinking, but I'd love to hear feedback. All right. Well, thank you for taking the time out of your day to help us with, with us after the harvest and things we can do with the, the wild game. I think it's very important. Like I said, it's um, it's instilled in us and our family that if you harvest an animal, that you're harvesting to, to provide for the family. So I think our, our views are so in line. And like I said, that's um, I think we should be preaching that to everybody, honestly. So I appreciate your time. I appreciate you coming on and helping us. And this has been a pleasure. Thank to do you. this. It's been my pleasure. So, so fun to talk with you, Heath. Thank you for having me. Yes. So thank you for helping us teach, train, and learn, Chef Shelley. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs>